News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's bring you a little up to date on the wildfire situation uh, across the province here, but in particular, the White Rock Lake wildfire. It is one of the largest of the 300 or so fires that are burning around the province this morning. And this one has gotten worse in the last 24 hours. And that's because of some strong winds that picked up through that area. So as a result of that, Hundreds more homes are under an evacuation order this morning. Even more are under evacuation alert. The difference being those people are told they may have to leave their homes on a moment's notice. And that's a tricky situation. We'll have more on that in just a moment here. Now, the wildfire situation near Kamloops did take a turn in particular yesterday evening because the fire jumped Highway 97 and it spread to buildings in the Monty Lake area. So according to some reports this morning, uh, these are coming from the Thompson-Nicola Regional District, multiple homes and businesses have burned down. The TNRD spokesperson says that they have yet to be able to go into the area and assess the situation. They are hoping to do that today, but at this point, right, the fire has just burned through there. But they do believe, quote, a large portion of Monty Lake has been destroyed. Now that is a community of a few thousand people uh, situated between Vernon and Kamloops along Highway 97. Uh, let's get more right now from Global News' Aaron MacArthur. Homes, businesses, memories, livelihoods burned. Hard to know at this point what is lost, but witness accounts suggest much of Monty Lake has been destroyed by fire. The White Rock Lake fire jumped Highway 97 Thursday afternoon. Uh, apparently a very extensive destruction. We have not uh, confirmed all of uh, the, the information with BC Wildfire, but recently BC Wildfire did confirm that a number of structures have been lost. The community along with homes in the vicinity were already under an evacuation order. The weather forecast calling for strong winds and unstable fire behavior. Many people in the area didn't heed the expert advice. BC Wildfire says crews spent precious time Thursday rescuing people trapped by flames. Many property owners chose not to evacuate from evacuation order areas. um, And this put our our first responders uh, at a tremendous risk. Um, And they spent much of the afternoon and the evening ensuring that um, everyone had safely vacated that area, which should have already been vacated. 300 properties in Barnhartvale have now been ordered evacuated. BC Hydro says a transmission structure has been damaged by fire. Highway 97 is closed and now the city of Kamloops has activated its emergency operations center in case the fire gets closer to city limits. Yeah, that is not good news there because there's no way this fire is under control. This is the White Rock Lake wildfire, which is growing in size because they had winds and we didn't get the uh, the rainfall in the southern part of the province that we thought we were going to get this week. It rained very lightly, but we're going to check in with Mark Madriga a little bit later on the show to find out what is the situation, uh, whether it's going to be winds, is there any precipitation in the forecast they can count on, we'll find out. And you heard um, Hannah Smith there from the BC Wildfire Service. That is a tricky situation, right? One of the problems right now is that people are not listening. They are not obeying those evacuation orders. And in this case, as she spelled out, it meant that critical fire personnel were involved 
in going door to door, like evacuating people who should have already been gone, right? And those personnel could have been used on the front lines fighting this fire instead. Uh, Here's more from Hannah Swift. Another reminder to the public of why evacuating when an evacuation order is received is is very important because uh, your escape route can be compromised very quickly. Um, as we saw today, Highway 97, um, it was open to through traffic. It was helping with expediating, expediating our, evacuate, our evacuees. Um, however, you know, two hours after it had been had been closed, the fire did actually cross over the highway and, and that compromised an, an escape route for many folks. So you can see how this would be a problem, right? Like if you're not gone already, if the fire gets worse, it's too late at that point. That's Hannah Swift from the BC Wildfire Service. So this happened well yesterday afternoon and into the evening. What we know at this point, once again, is they believe a large portion of the community of Monty Lake has been destroyed. We're talking homes, buildings. Uh, They're hoping to get in there today and take a look. That from the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. But again, it's a tricky situation right now. So that is getting worse. Strong winds picked up through the area overnight. We will be keeping you posted. And as I mentioned, a little later on the show, we'll check in with Mark Madriga to find out what the weather forecast holds for the interior of our province. Is anything, anything on the horizon that might be able to help out? This is Mornings with Simi. Some parents out there, I know you are exhausted, right? You've been, well, working with the kids all summer, trying to keep them entertained. That's on a regular summer, and this isn't a regular summer. In fact, hasn't been a regular couple of years. And parents, you know, maybe your kids were at home for schooling for that first part of the pandemic, but just keeping them up to date on their schoolwork and now keeping them entertained in the summer, it's a stressful time for parents out there, right? Well, how do you keep them entertained now for that last month, that final run before school starts again? Joining us now is travel and lifestyle expert, Natalie Preddy. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning. Parents need a break, Natalie. Yes. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Like you said, it's been a long couple of years. Um, But you know what's great about this summer is we are actually allowed to do a few more things than we could previously. So, you know, we can start heading out to uh, public places, you know, masked and safely, of course. Uh, But, you know, places uh, like the zoo, the park, the aquarium, things like that are now starting to open, which is uh, such a godsend for for parents. (laughs) That's true. You're right. Because last summer you couldn't do any of that. Those places weren't open. No, not at all. But you know what? But you know what's exciting is we can take those trips that we did before and we can even enhance them. So, for instance, like the zoo. Um, a, a little way to keep your, your kids entertained um, and a little bit of educated. I always like to throw some learning uh, in, your, in your outings. Uh, you can see all of your favorite animals, but you can also talk to your kids, of course, depending on their age, about habitats. So let's say we're talking about polar bears. We can say, okay, what would go in a polar bear uh, habitat? Okay, snow, water, shade. Let's, let's look at the zoo. Let's see what, the, is, what is in the polar bear's habitat. You know, and later we can say, what would you change? What would you add? Right. You can do it for orangutans, reptiles. It, it's really a way to get outside, but also to get your kids thinking and talking about it later. I feel like this is good for us. For here in Metro Vancouver, this is a good time to go to the aquarium probably because that's a very mm-hmm. education centered facility kids love it and you're right they probably haven't gone right for a couple of years 
Exactly. It's been a while, and there's so much to see at the aquarium. Um, but you can also make a scavenger hunt. So um, depending on their age, again, uh, you can do things like, um, you know, for younger kids, find three blue fish, and let's let's name them when we're there. Find three stri- uh, fish with stripes. Um, or for older kids, you could say, all right, you know, let's find four nocturnal species, four fish that are carnivores, um, things like that. And so you're really enhancing their time there. Nellie, is there a website that will do this for me? Because this sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> like, you know, when you're already tired, you're like, just show me. Give me some questions to ask the kids on this trip to the aquarium. <laughs> you know what? I, t- I kind of do it on the fly. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be standing there and I'm like, oh, oh, I see four, I see four fish with stripes. I wonder if my kid can see them too. Um, and, you know, next thing you know, you right. play the game. <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, no, it's exciting. I mean, uh, of course, uh, on my website, I have a few of those questions, but a lot of it is, is up to you. Or even ask the kids what they see. You know, you see a fish with polka dots, let's go find four more. <laughs> right. That's the thing about kids, though, right? They are sponges, and they want to yeah. learn fun stuff. It's just a matter of for parents, like, just uh, tapping into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what's exciting about, you know, going to these places with your kids. It's because, you know, you may have been to the aquarium 50 million times, but you haven't been there uh, in the same way that your child has. So as they're discovering, you're discovering too, you know, so you're going to start to see things in a whole new light. Maybe you didn't notice uh, certain types of fish, certain types of sea creatures that maybe your kid has an interest in, and suddenly you've learned something new as well. Okay, this sounds like fun. So keeping kids entertained, I feel like, is so much of what parenting is all about. They kind of don't tell you yeah. that when you're having, before you have kids. <laughs> no, Natalie, what are, manual. what are your secrets? Like when you go out, when you have an outing with your kids and do you pack up everything? Do you think about it ahead of time or do you, as you just said, do it in the moment? Well, it really depends. I mean, um, yesterday, for, for instance, we had uh, an impromptu um, sensory bin. I just threw rice and beans and, and puff balls in, in the bin and, and, uh, and, and, you know, they played and that was put together within five minutes. But when we're going out, you know, I try to, it doesn't take too long to prep. So for instance, um, a picnic is a great outing for kids. And what we try to do now, my kids love picnics or just eating outside. So we try to make it a little bit themed, right? So even when putting it together, I, you can get the kids involved then. And, um, and that's a good way to entertain them as well. So the Olympics are on right now. Let's pick a country for a theme. So let's say we picked Turkey. Okay, so what sort of, you know, we can sit down and we can think, okay, what are the, um, what sort of food would we bring on a picnic? Um, you know, Turkish food. So we have hummus and shish kebabs and baklava and fried eggplant and, and stuffed vegetables and vine leaves. Okay, so I've looked that up with my, with my, with my children and that's an activity in itself. And then preparing right. that all as an activity and then heading out as well. You know, that's three separate activities. So you can really, wow. you can either prepare that ahead of time or you can get the kids involved in that as well. And then they're learning something, you're learning something and you've entertained them for a good 15 minutes. <laughs> Jeez, Natalie, where were you when my kids were little 20 years ago? <laughs> anyway. uh, yes, I, yeah, I know. Right? Where were all these webs? I see all this stuff now and I'm like, where was all this when I was desperate to entertain my kids? Uh, Natalie, thank you so much for your time this morning. <laughs> My pleasure. Have a fantastic day. You too. That's Natalie Pretty, travel and lifestyle expert for some ideas on entertaining your kids. I'm serious. Where was all that stuff when I was grasping for just something to do to keep the kids entertained? Some good suggestions there. 
This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the unemployment rate dropped to 7.5% across the country in the month of July. What does that mean? It means that we regained in Canada about 94,000 jobs in July. A lot of those, the vast majority were full-time jobs. That's good news. 83,000 of those were full-time jobs. So some progress there, but what about British Columbia? Let's find out what those numbers look like. Joining us now is Ravi Kalon, Minister of Employment and Jobs and Economic Recovery. Thanks for being here. Hi, Simi. Thanks for having me. So how did BC do? Uh, well, this month was uh, pretty steady for BC. Uh, Simi, as you'll know, that BC is the only province that is that uh, has surpassed the pre-pandemic employment levels. So we're at 100.5% of jobs from pre-pandemic employment numbers. And, and so we now expect the numbers to be uh, fairly steady, a little bit up and down. We, we did see some uh, job losses uh, in uh, the film and television sector, but we know that's, uh, that local crews are taking temporary wrap-ups of some of their productions on their TV series, and, and that'll turn around uh, very soon. But we did see an increase in full-time opportunities, and in particular, uh, retail and uh, the hospitality sector. So what is the number at then right now for BC? Uh, right now, our unemployment is 6.6%, uh, which, again, is uh, uh, fairly close to where we were uh, pre-pandemic. And we know uh, that uh, when the international borders open up, that we're going to see a significant increase. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we're going to continue to monitor this as the coming months uh, as we move forward. Right. So you think then that the announcement prop for opening the borders probably came after that. So there, and there's a lot of hiring going on right now. There is a lot of hiring going on, and uh, you know we have been hearing from many employers, uh, in particular from the hospitality and the retail sector, that, that they can't find workers, uh, and everyone is hiring at the same time. And we already have pre-pandemic employment levels, so there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, that we know is going to come. And yesterday, Simi, we announced uh, an additional $95 million for skills uh, uh, training, reskilling, upskilling. So that people can step up and take the, get the skills and opportunities they need to take those jobs. And so it's going to be a bit of a challenge for the coming months, but it's a good challenge. Are you hearing more and more about that then, about this labor shortage? Because I know that there's a lot of challenges out there for employers right now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've heard uh, various things from various sectors, you know, um, uh, hospitality and, and the retail sector, which is now starting to scale up. And soon we'll be trying to scale up significantly uh, if the uh, U.S. Uh, and the international borders start to open up. And so they're looking for uh, people. And uh, we've heard that, uh, that uh, various uh, situations, uh, some folks who uh, were unemployed from that hospitality sector in particular, went out and started their own businesses. Um, and we've seen some that are still afraid to come back to work. And so it's a real mixed bag. But uh, again, uh, when the pre-pandemic employment levels are at the same where we are now, um, you know, we know there's going to be some challenging, uh, some pressures as we move forward. Right. So even though, I mean, even the federal government has talked about extending supports a little bit, especially now that we seem to be in this fourth wave. What is this government, your government, going to do about that? Well, we said from the beginning that uh, the supports will be available. We had the highest per capita supports in the country for people and businesses. Uh, and, uh, and I think that put us in a good position to have the strongest uh, pre-pandemic employment numbers come back. And so uh, we're always uh, open to providing supports as they're needed. 
Okay, so you have an announcement about that coming up today. Yeah, we're going to be uh, continuing to do that. You know, we're seeing a massive shift uh, in particular with small businesses. I mean, that uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, businesses that always knew they need to get online and get and be have a digital presence. Uh, now are forced to do so if they want to compete. And so we've been providing supports and we're going to continue to provide supports for for small businesses to prepare for the change in the economy. Yeah, that's been a huge one, isn't it? I know we talked to you about that, well, months and months ago. Uh, But for many businesses, this has been, and it's hard to believe, but this has been the incentive to kind of get on the internet. Yeah, and you know, the, the, the companies that are larger, they had the means to do this. Right. It's a really small businesses who always wanted to do it, but they just didn't have the means to do it. And it was kind of at the end of the list of what they wanted to prioritize. And now it's on the top of their list. And now if you don't have some sort of presence, if you don't have some sort of online presence, uh, it's it's very hard to compete, and that pace is not about to slow down. And so, it's critically important for us as a as a government to support our businesses to get online, and it all and it creates a whole new. Uh, t- uh, uh, list of opportunities for new businesses to start as well. So we're going to continue to do that, and, and I'll share a little bit more about that later today. Okay, so more to come on that one. What are you looking ahead to? Like for next month's job numbers, is there an area we have concern? Well, we, uh, we obviously we're still in the pandemic, and so uh, we continue to watch um, how the pandemic evolves. Uh, the U.S. border and international travel is going to be a big one. Uh, we know that there's uh, uh, pent-up demand for uh, people to go uh, south of the border, but a lot of people wanting to come to uh, to Canada, to BC as well. And so that'll be the next big thing that we uh, continue to, uh, to watch uh, over the coming months. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you for your time this morning. Thanks for having me, Simi. Stay safe. This is Mornings with Simi. Oh, what happened to the rain? I was looking forward to it all week, and I guess some areas got it, not others. Let's find out what's going on with the forecast. Our global news meteorologist, Mark Madurga, joins us now. Good morning, Mark. Hey, hey, good morning, Simi. Uh, I know I was hoping for a little bit more. I wasn't expecting a lot with this first little front, but... uh, as you say, some places got some. I know on a, I drove across the Portman Bridge at about 4 a.m. There was some on the road. It wasn't very heavy, but there was some there. And Yeah, lots of places, just a sprinkle or two. So, And that's probably it for the day. Really? What happened? Yeah. Just got weaker than oh. expected? Like, is that what happened? Yeah, the charts were showing, well, you know, early in the week. I, <laughs> let's I go was back hopeful. Here. Yeah, oh, for sure. When I was looking at the charts uh, this past weekend and on even Monday and Tuesday, it looked like today was going to be a washout. And uh, as we went through the week, it, uh, the charts were showing the high-pressure ridge just too strong. It just bashed that front into little pieces, and there wasn't much left of it when it moved in this morning. But uh, I have greater hopes for tomorrow. The next weather system coming in uh, later tonight, but especially through the day tomorrow, it will pack more showers. I'm confident on that. Honest, I am confident. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there is a, a silver lining there that, yes, we'll pick up some showers tomorrow. But uh, that's it then. Sunday looks like it'll dry across the south coast fairly quickly by the afternoon. And then Monday and all of next week, we're back to the strong high-pressure ridge, so getting hotter and sunny and oh, dry man. all of next week. So that's it. So whatever we can squeeze out overnight and tomorrow for rain, 
just look up, look up, open your mouth and no gulp kidding. it down or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, that's about it for a while. So that's yeah. how I feel. I want, you know, I'm sitting there waiting. Please, <laughs> please. What about like in the interior part of the province? Are they going to see any change in their forecast? Yes, they're going to get some rain. This same front moving through this morning fizzled there. There was little or no rain for Kamloops, um, Vernon through those fires in the southern interior, and none expected really today. It's tomorrow night and into Sunday. There will be some rain in there with that same system that will get us uh, tomorrow. So I'm looking for not a lot around Kamloops uh, on Saturday night and Sunday, maybe a couple millimeters, but southern sections through the Okanagan and especially the Kootenai region should have several millimeters on Sunday, but it won't make a big difference because next week is hot and sunny all through there too with temperatures going way back up to the mid-30s. So some good news, but not a lot uh, all through the southern part of the province. Is this like the El Nino year too, right? I seem to remember earlier this year that that's, we had a very mild winter and a very hot summer. Yeah, oh boy, I'd have to look at all those stats for El Nino. I mean, it's um, it's tricky to forecast weather in the summer with with El Nino. I concentrate more on the winter forecast with right. with an El Nino or La Nina. But uh, yeah, as far as the rest of August, you know, I I see a, a pretty strong high pressure ridge dominating our weather for the most part for the rest of the month. We'll get little blips like we're going into tomorrow, where we'll pick up maybe some showers here and there, but. Right. Not a soaking. Boy, it's going to stay mostly dry. Not a soaking. And I should also mention the smoke in the southern interior. Still extensive, but thinner today in some areas, uh, Simi. And it should thin a bit more as we get into tomorrow and Sunday as things mix up a bit, get a little bit of rain. But, boy, next week with it being so hot and sunny and dry, I'm pretty sure that smoke is going to be a huge factor again, considering mm. the fires are likely to continue to be burning in there. Oh, not good news. Mark, thank you yeah. for that this morning. My pleasure, Simi. Appreciate, Talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate that. That's Mark Madriga, our Global News meteorologist. Uh, we didn't get the precipitation we were hoping for. Even Mark was fingers crossed, right? Hoping that it was going to happen weaker than usual. And then it gets hot again next week. So hopefully that little bit of uh, cooler weather and rain in the southern part, interior part of the province will help out. But in the meantime, we will keep you posted on how that goes. This is Mornings with Simi. We've been talking this week about the new Surrey Police Service and how they announced plans to, well, theoretically have boots on the ground by the end of November, potentially earlier. Chief Norm Lipinski says the actual model hasn't been figured out yet, but would likely start with around 40 officers on the ground and then 10 of them in the investigative bureau working alongside members of the Surrey RCMP. But the big question with all that was, well, what, do Surrey, what does Surrey RCMP have to say about this? Janet Brown, our senior reporter, is back with us for more on that. Good morning, Janet. Good morning, Simi. Yes, uh, that it was a big announcement this morning, um, this week, pardon me, from the Surrey Police Service and their chief, Norm Lipinski, about this model that he's planning to roll out towards the end of November or even earlier, as you said. That is the goal right now anyways. And he talked about a plan for 40 officers to be on the ground, as you said, and 10 in the investigative bureau working alongside members of the Surrey RCMP. And that was key. And he even suggested that of the 40 members that would be on the ground, some would even perhaps be riding in the same vehicles as members of the Surrey RCMP. Hmm, I wonder how that's going to roll yes. out. Yes. So I have reached out to the Surrey RCMP officer in charge, Brian Edwards, to ask him 
about what Mr. Lipinski said this week, and he says nothing has yet been decided. Yeah, I think it's premature at this point in time to discuss uh, deployment models. They haven't been decided. Um, and any possibilities there have a number of implications. So I would say that it's uh, premature and hasn't been determined. Uh, there's been multiple discussions with uh, working groups over the last number of months, and the working groups look at uh, numerous aspects of transition. Uh, deployment models is one of them, and I'm involved in that. Um, in terms of the details, uh, the specific details, uh, they have not uh, gone down to the granular level at this point in time. So uh, those uh, specific uh, um, uh, in which we will deploy is just simply not decided yet. Okay, Janet, I don't understand. Why isn't any of this worked out? Well, you know, it is a new police force and, you know, new things aren't easy all the time to roll out and plans don't always go according to plan. And there's a lot of uh, fingers in the pie in this one, too. A lot of working groups, as Mr. Edwards says. Uh, what's really going on behind the scenes? You know, who knows? Who knows? Are they arguing behind the scenes? Are they getting along behind exactly. the scenes? Are things going smoothly? We don't know. We just are able to report what Mr. Lipinski tells us, what Mr. Edwards tells us. But at the end of the day, can you imagine being a Surrey Mountie and really not knowing if this actually is going to go ahead for sure, as we're hearing it is, and and wondering if you're going to have a job at the end of the day, Simi. I asked Mr. Edwards about that. How are his members feeling? Is it taking a toll on their mental health? And here's what he had to say. Uh, our members have been dealing with this for over two and a half years, and the ongoing discussion of transition as it uh, moves forward. So this is uh, nothing, uh, nothing new to the members in Surrey. So uh, the uh, what I can say it does uh, it does create uh, anxiety uh, to our members because uh, they have families, they rely on these jobs, and I think like everyone. Want to know exactly what their working conditions are going to be uh, going to be into the future because they uh, they make plans on the basis of uh, where you where you work and for whom you work. So it uh, does create uh, a number of questions uh, for our folks, and that's why I think we need to be extremely careful uh, when we provide opinions on uh, how things will unfold or what things will look like. We want to be very balanced, and we want to make sure that we're extremely accurate so we don't create uh, undue uh, concern for the members that will be affected by this. Okay, I'm, I have a lot of sympathy for those members, though, because you're right. Like They're just sitting there wondering, should I apply for a job with the Surrey Police Service because is my job going away? And how can you guarantee that for all those employees? Exactly. I asked Mr. Edwards, too, how many members of the Surrey RCMP have perhaps transitioned over to the Surrey Police Service. He didn't have uh, the latest numbers in front of him, but he thought it might have been around 10. Um, I probably maybe shouldn't be talking about that because, you know, we don't have an accurate number, but it, it seemed like a low number, according to Brian Edwards. Um, so at the end of the day, I guess we'll, we'll eventually find out how many have moved over. But, you know, that's the question. Are others looking at moving to the Surrey Police Service? Are they looking to move to other RCMP detachments in Metro or somewhere else? Or are they taking a chance that perhaps this transition won't happen and they're going to stay with the Surrey 
RCMP, I'm sure a lot of uh, are in limbo right now. That's the next thing I'm curious about with this story, Janet, and that is how is recruitment going? Because I, you know, I remember hearing from the mayor in the lead up to all this, they just, it's almost like they assumed they would have no problem finding enough officers to fill the jobs. Well, I think it really is one step at a time. It's baby steps, not, you know, huge steps going forward. And the recruitment, according to Mr. Lipinski, others you talk to within the new service, it is going well. They've uh, hired over, I believe, 70 officers and um, a handful of civilians. So apparently it's going very well and people are happy to go and work at the new Surrey Police Service. Um that's all I can tell you right now. They haven't yeah. hit 100 yet. But, you know, as I say, it's baby steps. And Mr. Lipinski also said this week that the full transition is actually not going to happen until approximately two years from now. So it's ramping up slowly. And with these these 40 uh, or 50 officers going out onto the street and into the investigative unit, as he says they will be doing at the end of November, he says, and then next year they'll add a little more and a little more. But whether that actually happens and whether that actually progresses well, I guess time will tell, really, Simi. Yeah, like two years from now, but the municipal election is a year from now. And I bet this is going to be a very hot campaign topic. And we know uh, that Brenda Locke, who's a councillor right now, she's uh, tossing her hat into the ring to try and become the mayor of the city of Surrey. And she has said if she wins election, she is not going to go ahead with this transition. She says she's going to stop it on day one. Here's another interesting quote from Brian Edwards when I interviewed him this week. He said, quote, the handover of command and control to the Surrey Police Service has not yet been developed and will be the subject to a number of factors, including a recruiting target. So sounds like wow. there's a lot of work yeah. still to be done for sure, Simi. I am mm. so fascinated by this because I thought, this isn't this the kind of stuff that should have been nailed down already? But Janet, thank you so much for your time this morning. Anytime, Simi. Thank That's Janet Brown, our CKNW senior reporter, Global News senior reporter, talking about the Surrey police transition. Honestly, I am surprised when I hear about some of this because I feel like the transition plan should have been, you know, the big thing worked on right away because that is the question everybody has had. How do you make sure there is that smooth transition between the RCMP and a Surrey police service? But as Janet points out, they admit they are still working on it. This is Mornings with Simi. Let's talk about COVID-19. We are in an uncomfortable spot here with 402 cases reported in a 24-hour period yesterday. Cases have doubled in a week, and we are concerned about that. So can we say now that because of the Delta variant and the way it spreads that we are in a fourth wave? Well, joining us now is Paul Tupper, a professor in the Department of Mathematics at Simon Fraser University, co-authored the COVID-19 Rapid Test Modeling Report. Paul, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks very much for having me, Simi. What do you think when you look at this? Can we say that we are in a fourth wave? There's really no doubt. I mean, already the case counts are higher than the, the what we call the first wave um, back in the spring of 2020. So, yes, we're in a fourth wave, and it's it's there's very little doubt that the case numbers will continue to rise. So when you model it, what can we predict? What can we expect then in the next few weeks? Um. Case counts will continue to rise at the rate they are going, mainly because there's nothing, um, you know, nothing is changing now to make them be less. Um, 
we at some point uh, it may be that hospitalization capacity is is getting reached, and then there's be no choice but to uh, introduce further restrictions. You know, bring back some of the restrictions we had earlier this summer in you're, order to try and get those numbers down. You're making it sound like we're going to go back to where we were like six months ago. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't want that. Um, so, I mean, the things that we can do, the thing is, so in, in, the, the best thing we can do is um, get vaccination numbers higher. You know, we need more, more of the population vaccinated, especially in places like some, in some places rates are quite low. Um, and, it's, and it's different in different parts of BC. So it's, a lot of the numbers are going up the most in the interior. And that's not coincidentally also where vaccination rates are some of the lowest. The thing is, that doesn't take, um, you know, that, that takes time. People need to get their first dose. People need to get their second dose. And then it, it takes time before the vaccines kick in. Um, and that's not going to happen immediately. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have to we have this thing coming and we have to manage it somehow in, in the short term as well. So when you say, okay, vaccinations need to kick in, even if we can get that push on then, it sounds like we're still looking at a, a month or two of higher cases. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's not... The, the, I mean, the, the problem is, so partly it's because we re- re- relaxed um, um, the restrictions in the, on July 1st, but also it's just the Delta is much more transmissible than the other variants that we've had until now. Uh, and so that's, um, yeah, that's causing this, this problem. Right. I mean, the, so, good, the good news is that the vaccines seem to work very well against the Delta, especially the t- two doses, you know, two weeks after two doses. You, it, 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 we're not seeing a big difference in efficacy with the Delta. Right. So it sounds like, though, Paul, we're in a bit of a race here, right, is to yes. close the gap on those vaccination numbers before this thing gets too out of control. Yes, I agree. Uh, and it may be necessary to reintroduce some restrictions in order to buy us more time. Right. Okay. That's the scary part about this then. So does this, that's why we're hearing then the government kind of really push vaccinations, vaccinations, right? Yes. Yes. It really, it makes, it makes a huge difference. Like it makes, it makes a difference for your, you know, the individual person, it it makes um, it, you know, much safer for you. Um, Even if you're a young person, you know, it's not, uh, it's not great to get COVID and a small minority of people, even very young people that get COVID are left with with serious um, health complications afterwards. Um, not to mention what, what, what it's like for older people. Um, but also when you get vaccinated, um, it seems that there, you know, it's still possible, of course, to get COVID after you're vaccinated, but the chance, your chances are improved greatly. And you're also much less likely to pass it on to other people. So you're protecting the other people around you. Right. So when we say that this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, I get that. But that also, I guess, tells us how, how transmissible the Delta variant is, because if our unvaccinated numbers are low and our case numbers are that high, that means this thing is spreading like crazy. Yes. Yeah. It's much, it's much, it's really remarkably more. I mean, the, what we, what we faced when we first learned about COVID, this is much more transmissible than that. And that's, that's quite alarming. Okay. So then Paul, what next couple of weeks, next two weeks, lay it out for us. What's it going to look like? Uh, I, well, I can't predict the future. We just, we just know, I mean, we know that we, we, we can be pretty sure that, that case numbers will continue to rise at the rate they are. Um, uh, and like, if we do nothing, um, probably what will happen is we'll get um, very, very high case numbers. Um, but because, and mainly among the unvaccinated, but also because of the break, these breakthrough cases that happen, there'll be some among the vaccinated too. So, and that doesn't mean the vaccines are not working. 
Um, and then we'll see what um, public health does, whether whether they feel we need to introduce restrictions or not. But, you know, something is, is going to happen. Something is going to happen. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, yeah, it's not going to go away. It's not over, um, unfortunately. I wish I wish it were otherwise. Dearly, dearly wish it were otherwise. But there's just no way that we're not having a fourth wave now. Oh, boy. I wish it was otherwise as well. Paul, thank you for your time on that this morning. Thanks, Timmy. Great to talk. That's Paul Tupper, professor in the Department of Mathematics at Simon Fraser University, co-authored the COVID-19 Rapid Test Modeling Report. And he says, oh, yeah, we are in it. This is definitely a fourth wave. And, you know, if people don't hurry up and get vaccinated, if you've been putting it off, like even the second shot for whatever reason, get it done because it is the only thing that is going to prevent this from getting worse at this point, uh, which is the which is why we're hearing the emphasis, right, from health officials saying, do it, do it, do it, walk in Wednesday, drop in clinics, go, get it done. If you want to weigh in, Simi at CKNW. This is Mornings with Simi. Oh, what a morning it has been. Of course, it is gold for Team Canada and women's soccer. How exciting was that? Like, I thought the game was stressful. I'm sure you thought the game was stressful. But you know who really, besides the players, thought it was stressful? The family members. Julia Grosso was the one, the player, who scored the winning goal during the shootout. And guess what? We have her dad, Carlos, on the phone with us right now. Hi, Carlos. Hey, congratulations. Thanks, Simi. Thanks, Simi. How crazy has the last couple of hours been for you? Oh, it's been a little, it's been stressful, but crazy, but very exciting. Very happy. Oh, I'll bet. So let's go back to that moment, Carlos. Julia goes up. It's her turn. What was it like? What was the atmosphere like at your house? Uh, tension. We're all nervous. Very, very nervous, right? And But when she scored that goal, we, it, it exploded in my house big time. Oh, have you had a chance to talk to her yet at all or get a message to oh, her? She, she, fa- she FaceTimed us already. And what is she, how is she doing? Oh, she's, she's over the moon right now. Over the moon. Carlos, be honest. Happy. A lot of tears? A lot of, well, a lot of tears. Yes, yes. Wow. What has it been like to get to this point, Carlos? Like, how, how much did Julia train? Like, it was so rewarding for her and for you as her dad and her parents and her family. But how much effort and love and time has Julia put into this, into soccer? She, she's put a lot of time. I mean, it's not what she does on the field. It's what she does off the field when, it, when nobody's watching her. And she's dedicated her basically the last six months to, first of all, making the team, Right. And trying to, you know, trying to win that starting position, right? And kudos to my kid. She, you know, she she put all the effort in and she was rewarded, right? So, fantastic. Now, really are, you, are you planning a big party for her return? Well, that's the, that's the million-dollar question. Is she going to go straight to Texas, right, where she's is she her season starts pretty soon? Or is she going to come home for a couple of days, right? So, we'll have to, we'll, we'll find that out tonight. Well, Carlos, we just wanted to say congratulations on behalf of everybody here. Well, on behalf of everybody, actually, who was just watching that game this morning. Uh, Congratulations. Julia did a great job. It's amazing. Thank you. And you know what? I'm happy for the entire country here. Well, they're happy for you. Thank you, Carlos. All right. Thanks, Simi. Give our love to Julia. Love. Thank you for joining us. That's Carlos Grosso, the dad, of course, of Julia Grosso. She scored the winning goal this morning in the shootout that won us the gold medal in women's soccer. So exciting. So, yes, I know there'll be lots waiting for her for Julia when she comes home, if she's able to come home before starting her soccer season. Now, 
Let's stay with the Olympics right now. Uh, they are wrapping up today. The games are. But something else that was really great about these Olympics was all the sports that were kind of getting underway for the first time as Olympic events. One of those was climbing. It was a medal event, several events actually, in these Olympics. And it was pretty exciting to watch. One of the people who competed for Canada is Alana Yip. And she joins us now to talk about her whole experience in Tokyo. Alana, thanks for being with us. Hi. Great to, great to get to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. So tell me, what was it like? It must have been, a, first of all, a strange experience, right? Because it's kind of a different Olympic experience than you may have been expecting. You know, I didn't really know what to expect. And having never been to an Olympics before, I think, you know, I'm not missing anything that I, you know, didn't have in the first place. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So tell me, what was, uh, what was your event like? How many different events did you compete in? So for uh, Tokyo, the climbing event was a combination of all three of our uh, competitive disciplines. So we basically did three full competitions, and then they multiplied the rankings of each of those competitions together. It's a really long, grueling day. It takes about eight or nine hours of competing, and in the Tokyo heat, that's uh, it was exhausting, for sure. I'll bet it was. Was it more exhausting than you thought it was going to be? Was it a different type of event than you're used to competing in? So typically on the World Cup circuit, we would only compete in one uh, event at a time. All three of our events are, are separated. And for Tokyo, we were only given one medal event. So they decided to create this brand new combination discipline where you compete in, in all three, yeah, in all three competitive disciplines in one day. So Outside of the Olympics and qualifying for the Olympics, we actually don't do this discipline regularly. Oh, so interesting. Now, I know that you were born and raised in North Vancouver. You began mm -hmm. climbing when you were nine. So what happened yeah. in that moment when you were nine? Did you just go, oh, I love this? Yeah, I fell in love with it pretty early on. Uh, it was actually, so the other Canadian Olympian, Sean McCall, we're family friends our parents went to university together and it was him and his family that took me climbing for the first time and and I absolutely fell in love with it. And yeah, I started competing. I started on the the local youth climbing team at age 9. That's amazing. So what what do you still love about it? What is it about this the sport of climbing that attracts you? It's a challenge for not just your body but also your brain. So it problem solving is a huge component of climbing. Every time we compete, every competition, every round of every competition, we have brand new climbs that we've never seen before. And part of the competition is figuring it out on your own. And then, of course, after that, you have to execute. So I love that interplay between mind and body and uh, the on-the-spot on problem solving. Yeah, is it on the spot then? So how much of a chance do you have ahead of time to kind of look at that that wall or what you're going to be climbing and kind of mentally figure it out in your head? Well, for two of our disciplines, uh, you don't get a lot of time. So for, and it depends on the round as well, but for bouldering uh, in qualifications, you actually get no time ahead of time to, to look at your climbs. Your clock starts, you're allowed to turn around and you have five minutes by yourself at the climb. And so what do you get judged on then? Uh, is it speed alone many, or is it how many? No, it's just getting to the top of the climb and how many tries it takes you within that five minutes. 
This sounds so stressful, Alana, but then competing at that level, I think <laughs> so probably. Fun. Is it so fun? Yeah. So you still so find fun. it super fun to do this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, I guess so. I, now, I know you're also an engineer by trade. Uh, this, mm-hmm. I know this event didn't go as well as you had hoped at these Olympics. So what does the future hold for you? Are you going to keep up? Uh, I definitely won't stop climbing, um, but, you know, uh, take it day by day. We'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. And that must have been a new environment for you, too. Like, were you able to socialize with the team? Was there like a whole bonding thing with Team Canada? Um, there wasn't a ton of chances to bond with other athletes, but I got to know my roommates pretty well. They were uh, the beach volleyball duo of Sarah Pavin and Melissa uh, Humana Paradis. They were really cool. (laughs) So you did get to make some new friends and have some fun. Yeah, and I met a lot of people just sort of like on the street, you know, properly masked and distanced, but... uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of spaces to go gather, of course, you know, for obvious reasons. Of course not. No, but you know what? It, at least it was an Olympic experience. So listen, Alana, good for you for going there and competing and best of luck. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. That is Alana. Yep. Alana started climbing when she was nine years old and boy, did she ever get into it. She's competed at the highest level. And now with climbing being in a, a medal event in the Olympics, she was there too. Didn't work out, didn't hit that podium, but boy, what a great learning experience and what a lot of fun. So lots of great moments from the Olympics for sure. Lots of great stories out of the Olympics.